Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Hey, welcome everybody online. This is Vision Sunday, and we are right at the start of a Revive the Stones capital campaign, which I couldn't be more excited about. And so the point of this morning is to kind of explain to you where we are going, how excited I am about it, uh, because we're doing something pretty huge. And it's right in between two important dates in history. So yesterday was September 11th, uh, commemorating 20 years since the planes flew into towers in the Pentagon. And what a somber, crazy day that really changed the trajectory of my entire life uh, as that took me to war. And then uh, 12 years ago tomorrow uh, was the day that our church was planted. And so it's an incredible sort of moment to sort of look at history and see where God has taken us and then ultimately where he has us going. And so we're on a, a Revive the Stones capital campaign because we want to take uh, which was rubble and revive those stones and build a new facility out in Brushy Creek where God has give, gifted us. I mean, who does it? Who gives people land? But someone gave our church land, and because God ultimately wanted that to happen, and so we are just rejoicing for that. Um, so we're excited about the home from which God is going to bless this church to send out more church plants. I know you guys know that we have a church plant in East Austin. We have a vision to plant more churches. That's never going to be anything we ever stop doing. Uh, we have missionaries around the globe. We're excited about that. That's something we'll never stop doing. Uh, we also envision this place to be a space where children are going to grow up knowing and fearing God and not growing up in a culture saturated with darkness and sin. Uh, we want the, our, our place to kind of have a youth group, a respite from the insanity, and so a place where kids are going to hang out, probably spend a lot of nights there, uh, and do a lot of crazy games of, you know, a lot of mud and dodgeball and chair skyball and stuff. You guys have no idea what that is, but a lot of exciting things that our youth do, it, and it's sort of crazy, so y- you need to see it to believe it. Uh, and so I'm excited for that. We're going to have this, uh, the vision is that this is going to be a place where people are going to get married, and uh, there's this two-acre pond on our land that is just like, Bam! Gorgeous. And it gets me excited to think about all the weddings, all the children that are going to be born, all the the craziness of life that we're going to experience all together. This is exciting. But um, with an exciting vision comes a great challenge, hence capital in the capital campaign. That's scary to me, all right? One, I don't like, I'm not the guy that like sits around and goes, man, I just can't wait to talk to people about money. It's like my favorite thing. I'm going to tell them, give more money. And they're going to be like, oh, I love you. Thank you for telling me that. Uh, Like that's intimidating and scary for me, but I have to do that part because we can't achieve that vision without somebody going like, hey guys, we need to pay for this somehow, all right? Now, granted, we don't have to pay for the land, so maybe you guys know somebody that's got a free contractor gig. All right, anyway, so what I would love for us to do is just be, mindful of that but the the same feeling can i just take you back to a feeling i had it was kind of the same feeling that i had on september 11th 2001 when i was in the 82nd airborne division uh it was the actually a year before that i was about to go to ranger school and ranger school if you didn't know about being a ranger it's really hard it's a lot of sleeplessness it's a lot of um hunger it's a lot of getting screamed at and I remember that the day before, I was so filled with anxiety. Does anybody know anything about anxiety here? Does anybody know? Okay, I got, okay, a couple people know about that. All right, so it was so bad. I, I, had, I broke out in hives. Uh, I, I had like this pit of doom in my stomach. Do you guys know I'm talking about that feeling? Like you're just like, Ugh. And so I did the only thing I knew to do. 
And I went in my closet, because that's what the Bible says, go to your closet, and I started praying. <laughs> so my, with my head between jackets and coats, I'm sitting there going like, God. Because it was filled with fear. I was filled with all sorts of stuff. And that's sort of how it feels today as we're embarking upon this great vision um, that we might be able to have that, to train the next generation, to send the next generation of church planners and missionaries and children to be raised up in the way of the Lord. Um, and I, in such a task, if I'm just honest with you, it just seems impossible for our church. I don't think we can do it. Um, but I think that might be why God has given us that mission. I, I just love how God has always done things historically. He loves to take, uh, hey, get in, take 30,000 and whittle them down to 300. Now go fight them. Because uh, there's still too many here at 10,000. People are going to think that it was because of your might or skill. I want it to be just because of me. And so that's where we're, at. we're you're about to embark upon something where there's no way we can do it unless God does something. And so I want to encourage you to participate with us in something crazy. All right, so I want us to keep our eyes on the vision, but the, we have, here's just the reality, if we're honest, we can fear following God's vision because of three things. Our circumstances, you guys have all been there in the relationship or the marriage uh, or your kids and the circumstances are so bad, you're like, God, it's going to take a miracle. And he's like, oh, funny thing, I do that. And so that's the part where I want us to kind of look at that is we can get our circumstances. And listen, my own circumstances in 2004 in combat, in September of 2004, I lost two soldiers that same month uh, due to IEDs. And I was sitting there going like, how am I going to lead these men uh, through another 11 months of combat? It was creepy and scary and frustrating. And can, you can take your eyes off the vision at that point because you look around and you're like, it's just too hard. Uh, or maybe it's because of our sin. Like, I'm not good enough. Uh, I, I got a text from an old friend of mine. Like, I hadn't talked to him in 10 years. And he, he texted me this week, like this weekend. He's like, hey, I hope you're doing well there in Austin. Um, I'm still an alcoholic, and it's pretty much impossible for me to recover. In other words, what he was saying is like, I know God's doing going to do something for you but clearly he can't do anything for me. And I think there's a lot of us, if we're just honest with our heart and ourselves, we kind of look at our sin and our darkness and we go, I can't, I'm not, God couldn't possibly. And God loves to take those people and flip the script and change the world. Or this one probably, if we're just honest, it's this. When I was about to go to ranger school, you know what my real fear was? It wasn't how hard it was going to be, people yelling at me and screaming at me. is that I wanted it so bad, I was afraid to fail. And honestly, I was hoping. In fact, I got down to Fort Benning, Georgia, and they called my name and said, hey, the funding didn't come through for your school slot, which you're like, funding? It's all, all one army. Like they were, apparently, there's money involved, and transact goes from one bureaucratic slot to another bureaucratic slot, and so that didn't get transferred. And so they were like, well, you can either go home or you can wait a week down here, and you can see if a bunch of people drop out. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And there was that moment. I was like, hey, I can just go back and just say, hey, there was no room for me. Um, but I stayed a week at a hotel, which is actually really great. And then I went in a week later when all the other people dropped out. And uh, it, was like, it was like a free week of vacation while everyone else suffered. And so God worked through that. But it was like going through, I remember those 64 days for me was just the whole time, God, I I've got to overcome this fear of failure. And I remember the thought I had. I shifted from, God, don't let me fail, to God, I will be here as long as you want me to. 
I don't care how long it takes. If this is where you want me to be, because you could do something called recycle, which means you do it all over again and over again. And some guys spent over a year in ranger school not eating, not sleeping, just suffering. And I was like, I'm willing to take how long this takes because I know, God, you're in control of all things. And so I want us to get a place where we got to that point, where we're going all in, where we're saying, I say, God, I don't care what, what the outcome is. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to go all in for you. I'm not going to fear following your vision because the circumstances are too hard or because of my own sin or because of the, the biggest fear I have, which is rejection. All right. So we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to speak through his word. And we're going to follow the story for the next seven weeks, uh, the story of Nehemiah, who was not a clergy person. He wasn't a pastor. He was just a guy who was living in, in secular world, but had risen the ranks of secular world to make an impact for the whole world in the spiritual community. Would you guys pray with me? Father, open up your word. Show us your power. Allow us to see you, seek you, believe you. All the things that we struggle with, Lord, would you speak to our hearts through your word that we might fulfill the vision you have given this church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, here we go. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, which is just Hekeliah. That's a, that's a fun name to say. Now, this is a dad, right? A dad who raised a son, Nehemiah. And Hekeliah, he did a heck of a job raising Nehemiah. <laughs> All right, and what's really neat about this is, listen, your greatest contribution to the kingdom may not be something you do. It may be someone you raise. Your greatest contribution to kingdom work may not be the volunteer hours that you put in, but it might be the kid that you raise that becomes Nehemiah. And I want to put that out there because I think sometimes we can get so frustrated and so, well, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Sometimes I can get so frustrated at these four little boys that are in my house that have bad attitudes and entitlement and they want everything they want when they want when they want it, and it drives me batty. I'm like, I'm getting nowhere. And my hope, my heart is that I wouldn't discipline out of anger, but discipline out of love and fear of the Lord to point them toward Jesus so that one day they might be in a position like Nehemiah. And then there's going to be a story. The words of Jet, the son of Chris. Now, it happened in the month of Kislev. Write this down. That's like the... Uh, Thanksgiving to Christmas time frame, okay? That's where Kislev falls. You need to remember this for later. I don't see anybody writing. You need to write that part out. Kislev, month month between Thanksgiving and Christmas. In the 20th year, so this is the 20th year of where King Artaxerxes was king, all right? And so this is being, we're going to put it probably about 445 B.C. So if you're scoring at home, 445 B.C. And Nehemiah was in Susa, the capital, now, the, the capital had been moved from Babylon to Susa when the Medo-Persians took over. And so uh, Babylon had already, the, the exiles that had been stuck in Babylon for 70 years had been released. They they'd started to go back and repopulate. And about um, 50 years later, uh, there was a guy named Ezra who went down and he built a temple. Short version, uh, not quite as simple as all that. And then, uh, so then, here he is, there's, everyone's wondering how it's going. 
And then, so a thousand miles away in Susa, which is modern-day Iran, from Jerusalem, that Hanani, his little physical brother, blood brother, came with certain men from Judah, and he had a report, and asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile. So there were those there that had survived, had kids, and they, they grew up in being never knowing Babylonian exile, but then there were those who came back and sort of joined them. What's going on? And concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the, the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Look at this. Here's Nehemiah's response to everything being awful. Nehemiah had a prayer response to a material barrier. Now hear this, hear this. Nehemiah is in Susa. He's living large. Like he is, I mean, we're talking like palace life. He is the cup, we find out he's the cupbearer, but he's like the chief of staff, all right? So he runs things for the king of all the world at the time. So to, for him to care about something a thousand miles away, a place he had never been, is almost like, okay, um, if you have kids and then, you know, you always talk about your college days and you're like, and you just talk about your college days like they're the greatest thing ever. And then you pass that story down to your kids who pass that story down to their kids. And then the kids who've never been to Texas A&M or wherever, they hear the name Texas A&M and they hear that they lost. They go, oh, it's so bad. And you're like, calm down. You've never even been there. No, no, there is a familial, personal, emotional tie to a place that he has never been. And in fact, we're going to find out God has a heart for it. And so he mirrors God's heart for God's city. Now watch this. This is what I loved about that. He, he laments and he cries, but he also prays and he fasts. And listen, you don't stop eating. In fact, okay, we don't stop eating until it gets bad enough. Am I right? I mean, in general, like, nah, well, where do you want to go? That's really terrible that happened over there in Afghanistan. So where do you want to go to eat tonight? There, there, it, there has to be something personal in it for you to go to your knees and say, I'm going to go without something physical so that I can open up to the spiritual. Am I right? And so for me, listen, this is how it happens on, like, on the regular for me. We have a policy at our house of you're not allowed to cry and ask where something is until you've first prayed about it. So usually that involves my kids' shoes because we can never find them when we want to go somewhere, okay? Now, uh, the other day, though, uh, it came upon me. I was about to go uh, to the zoo with the kids, and I was going to go with uh, my buddy Scott, who usually sits right over there. And Scott, we were all going to the zoo together, and I'm trying to, and I'm like, I'm sorry I'm late. I can't find my keys. <laughs> Has anybody else had this moment? And I'm like looking around, and like my Austin goes, Dad, did you pray about him? <laughs> no. Dear God, will you please help me find the keys? And then about Two minutes later, Andrew's like, hey, the keys are already in the car. I'm like, I knew that. I just was, you know, I put them there and stuff. <laughs> we need to start putting prayer on the front end before we get to the disaster on the back end. Am I right? All right. Now, listen, 
Um, about uh, in 2018, in May of 2018, we, fir- we, we, we had finished this building, if, the one that we're in. And you may not know this, there was like a twin building next to us. And it looked like this. This is what, if, you know, we were finishing up right here. It was beautiful. We had the Live for More Center over here. We had the Worship Center over here. And in May of 2018, we were about to kind of, like, it was, it was happening. We had worship services going on. It was so exciting. We, you would come in to the, this is the children's ministry entrance. You go in here. Then you come out the side door, walk through this courtyard, up the, the stairs, bam, into worship. It was so cool. People would drive by, like, hey, I saw that new building that you guys built for your church. It's so great. I Other pastors say, I'm so excited for you guys. And I was like, we have arrived. And then in May, I get uh, the same day I got the, my wife found, got the positive pregnancy test for our fourth kid. Uh, we found, and we remember saying like, hey, now that this building stress is over, it's time to try again for another kid. And so the day we get the positive pregnancy test is the same day we got a letter to vacate this building to move us down to our current location all the way down here. And I was like, no. And at first, um, okay, I was just like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You know, I was like, does anybody, is anybody else like this? I'm like an emotional delay person. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like someone will tell me really bad news. I'm like, hmm. And then like hours or weeks later, I'll be like, this is awful. This is the worst thing ever. Like, I'm not like Nehemiah that's like immediately erupting in tears. It takes me a while. And sometimes that really works out good for me because like someone will bring me really bad news and I'll be like, huh. And then it'll, by, the, by the end of the day, I'll change course and it's completely fine. And I didn't go through the emotional roller coaster with them. And I'm like, oh, sucks to be that you went through that, but I didn't have to. But usually, it makes me emotionally very weird, okay? So someone will bring really bad news, and, I'm, and then I'm like, does he not care at all? It's like, not that I don't care, it just hasn't hit me yet. I'm emotionally delayed. Now, I don't know if that came from combat. You see stuff blow up all over, and you don't have time to think about the, the world ending and people dying. You just got to keep going. So there was like a fuse delay or something, so it hits me. And in August, I, I, I happen to have uh, the Bible here that I use from, from that time period, and uh, this was a week in August where I think it just really fully hit. August 13, 2018. Lord, please save our building and save our elder chair, Joe, Joe Davis. He at the time had Parkinson's. We were really worried about it, and we were praying for him. August 14, Lord, please uh, sanctify Josh. He just got saved and save our building. Okay, good. August 20th, Lord, I pray for our building and for the grace you have appointed me to effect change in the heavenlies. Not sure where I was going with that change in the heavenlies thing, but it just was awesome. Obviously, God anointed all right, August 22nd, Father, I pray for your will be done with our building. Help Austin School save Jet and Titus. Okay, August 28th, Lord, today's Jet's first day at preschool. Please, God, help him. And Father, I pray we're able to do your will with this building. <laughs> Give me your grace. August 29th, Lord, I pray for this building. Please, your will be done. I pray for more grace. This is really nerve-wracking. Okay, so that was that time, right? And it was like, Every day. And so I, my thought was those prayers would result in CVS going bankrupt. <laughs> and apparently that didn't work. <laughs> so I had, I had a vision. I was like, oh, yeah, the CVS CEO is going to come on. Like, I don't know what happened. Our, ba- our bank accounts are empty. We're closing it all down. We have free buildings for sale all over the world. And I was like, we'll take that one. All right. So that didn't happen. <clears throat> and then um, uh, and I was like just sad. And about a month after those prayers, uh, I got invited to uh, a, like a Dallas Cowboys football game in, at 
the new AT&T Stadium. I was like, what? I've never been. It was so great. And while I'm there, they're like, so how's it going at your church? I'm like, bah, wah, wah. I'm the Debbie Downer at the football game. You know, anyway, I'm like, it's, you know, it just kind of hit me because got the letter in May. It, nothing's been destroyed yet, but I'm just like, wah. And he goes, that's terrible. You know, I'm going to come down there. I'm going to help your church find some land. I do real estate kind of stuff. I'm like, okay, well, awesome. I don't know where we're going to get any money because we just spent it all on this build out and it's about to be destroyed. So whatever. And, but he comes down and he comes down two months later. We go around, we start at right here, we start drawing a circle around, like, we're somewhere really close, and we find some land here, but it's, you know, 80,000 square foot building on it, it's like a $20 million building, I was like, I don't know if that's, and it's, you know, about 200,000 square feet, but we probably don't need that big yet. Uh, then, like, there's really this great piece of land right by the strip club, and I was like, ah, just, that's great ministry opportunity, but children's ministry, I don't know how that's going to go. All right, so then uh, we just kind of started expanding the circle a little bit further down to Breaker, over in Pflugerville, to Jollyville, all the way up north into Brushy Creek. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't find anything. And uh, eventually I was like, it was during COVID, I was like, hey, can, um, I don't think there's a time to keep looking. Can we just stop looking? Because honestly, I was the guy that's like, we tried. We looked. There's nothing. And, uh, <laughs> and then um, he goes, let's just take one more look and he comes down and, and we're looking again and he's about to head north we couldn't find anything that was working and he's like I'm, I'm gonna go head north and there's this one and it was in brushy creek i was like that's way pretty far north but you know why don't we just hit it on your way back and i'll see you later so we drive up there and immediately i go oh no i hope this is already sold if, has anybody ever done that you see kind of something that would be perfect but then you're going like i don't want to do this this is gonna be really hard this is perfect, but I don't want, I just, like, I'd just rather, like, pretend I never saw this because then I don't have to deal with it, and, like, Lord, I can take my eyes off it, all that. And, uh, uh, and then I asked our, our Megan, who was our broker, I was like, she's like, ah, guys, this one's 99%, so, oh, well, I think we need to leave. We need to go. And he's like, and he stood there, and he goes, no, this is it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I know, it's perfect. There's a two-acre pond. The land's gorgeous. It's right overlooking the city. This couldn't be more perfect. And I'm just getting nervous sitting there thinking about how hard this is going to explain to everybody. And I have to talk to the elders about this. And I'm just like, oh, uh, I'm all the fears, all the fail, all the rejections just coming up all over me. And, uh, and he goes, and, and so our uh, broker, Megan, goes, she's like, so you either kind of need to put an offer on it right now or something. There's two full-price offers in for it right now. And I was like, well, again, ah, man. Ah, what a shame. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? And he's like, I'm putting a full, tell them I want a full cash offer right now. I'll put it in right now. Tell them we'll do it. Uh, and, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then um, Megan's, Megan's like, well, there's no chance this is going to happen, but I'll put it in anyway. And then, of course, no chance. And then, hey, it's yours. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's ours. And that, at the first, it was like, you know, he was like, I'll just get it, and then you guys pay for it. And I was like, we can't. And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just give it to you. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. And then it came to the architect, right? It came to the architect. It's like, man, the architect's like $125,000. We can't. I got that. Okay. So now we've got it set. I'm like, all right, well, good grief. Well, so, so then I'm like, okay, well, the hard part about this is I, then after that, when that all happened and then this happened, they finally destroyed our building in February of 2020. And I watched that all go down. And I was just like, man, God, Thanks for the pharmacy. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was like one of those moments. I said, well, this is clearly the direction where you're taking our church, and I'm ready to go, but it's going to be so hard. Because as I started looking at, I don't know if you guys noticed something. Something happened in COVID. 
every house on the planet costs, tw- like for those of you who own houses, congratulations. You're like, you just made a lot of money and a lot of property tax. Uh, and for those of you who don't, you're just like, what happened? I thought I had a shot. <laughs> I mean, it's like crazy. So I was like, so I, I went and there's a thing called sprung buildings, which are like permanent or semi-permanent tents that you can get. And I was like, we'll just put everything in a big tent and we can afford it. No problem. It's going to be easy because then I will get around all the city ordinances. Austin's cool with those. But it turns out Cedar Park isn't. And they said, the only, I go, we got sprung buildings. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be cheap, kind of, you know, it won't look really great, but it's going to be functional. And they're like, nope, you can't have those here. And I'm like, and so what I realized was God was wanting to show us not how we could reduce the price to make it so doable, to make it so high and impossible that it could only be him. And what I kind of realized, do you guys remember the story about Jesus uh, sending the disciples into, on, on a boat? They just did a lot of healing and feeding people. He goes, hey guys, I'll meet you on the other side of the, 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 the lake. And then he goes up to the mountain to pray. And so you're wondering, what did he pray? And then a storm comes, and all the disciples are like totally freaking out. We're all going to die. And Jesus is like, oh, I guess that's my cue. He walks down the mountain. He walks on the water, and not only are they about to die in the water, the wind, the waves, they see a ghost coming. Like, it's a ghost! And she's like, everyone, what is your problem? It's me. And, and Peter's like, if it's really you, come on, come out on you on the water. He's like, come on. He's like, walk on the water. And then, of course, he's like, ah, I can't really believe it's happening. And he falls, and Jesus pulls him out, puts him on the, the boat, and there calms the sea like that. And what I realize is that sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm just so he can rescue us. Isn't that fun? So much fun when the storm's over. And so um, I want you to watch Nehemiah's prayer because he goes to God with a prayer for a material barrier. But watch this prayer. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. I love this. Look at this. I love you and I show you love when you love me back and do what I say. Awesome. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you, day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants. And then he brings up a problem because he, God loves those who love him and keep his commandments. Confessing the sins, look at this, of the people of Israel. We didn't keep your commandments. Which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. And he just takes ownership for it. Like, we actually don't deserve any blessing from you because we are broken. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. And I love this because what is, what is so powerful here is, I don't know if you guys realize this. Remember 1 Peter 3.7 talks about husbands treating their, or 1 Peter 3.8, 3.7 talks about husbands treating their wives right. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Your prayers can be hindered because of your sin. And to which, this is where Nehemiah had a prayer response to a sin barrier. And this is what's so cool. This is what's so great about God. He is a loving and merciful God because a lot of us get stuck in sin, in darkness. And we're like, I can't get out. I can't get out. And all he's, it's true if you're a non-believer and it's true if you are a believer. All he needs you to do is turn your heart toward him. And he starts to change you from the inside out. He does the work. All you do is receive. But what I love about this is that Nehemiah knew something about our human nature and God's character that I think we sometimes forget. 
He understands we are that bad. We are so broken, we can't do it. But he understands that God's that good. That you love me in spite of me. And when you said, when I turn my heart toward you, you will heal me. And this is what's so great um, about when you face a God-sized vision. Let's just go God-sized vision for your marriage, God-sized vision for your kids, God-sized vision for your job, any type of God-sized vision. And then, or let's just, anytime you have something so big and it's so impossible, it starts to make, it's the only time you ever start to reflect on your own life. Okay, how do I know this? When something goes wrong, the first thing you say is, God, what did I do to deserve this? Isn't that what you do? You, you've done that. Now, that doesn't make it like, remember, God took the wrath of God out on his son Jesus, right? So we know that God's not punitive, but we do know that God is a God who disciplines those he loves. And so watch this. This is what's so good is whenever you're faced with something too big or so too dark and a vision too great, and you start, it causes you to look at your sin because everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. Did you guys know that? Whether you are a Christian or not, everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. Whether that's an existential crisis, whether that's a financial crisis, whether that's a sin crisis, everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. And so here, here he is. He's like, listen, I got some stuff. And so the, sometimes some of you got, name me. I know there's a reason why vision isn't fulfilled. It ain't my fault. And I go, I don't know if you've read the Bible. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And usually what people do in, when their marriage is erect, listen, I know I'm not perfect, but I haven't done anything wrong. It's his fault. It's her fault. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, and in fact, this is the part where, like, if you ever got a bunch of guys, like, do you guys have anything you need to confess? No, I'm pretty good. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But verse 9 is so powerful. This is why I love verse 9. I love this verse. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in a moment, we can go from darkness to light. Because you know what your problem is? Your problem isn't your wrong action. Your problem is your wrong believing, which leads to wrong action. Watch this. You, you, don't, you believe that your spouse is that bad. And you're right. Because you're that bad. But God is that good that he can redeem that which the locusts have stolen and eaten. He can take the biggest issues and the hurt and the wounds and redeem them. Your kids, you're like, I don't know, my kids. God, I don't know. He can do that. You're single and you're like, listen, I think the last train's heading out. I don't think there's a Christian on it. I need to jump on. (laughs) And what I'm saying is that like, what happens is like you've got to trust Jesus in the midst of all the hurt and pain and darkness. And whenever you fa- face a God-sized vision, it always causes you to look inside. And I think part of the problem for us is we don't do that. Because to look at ourselves on the inside, all the stuff that we've been through, it's traumatic. But, and we don't, gr- like, we don't cry and weep and wail about stuff like biblical times. And so there's a lot of sin that you haven't processed through. And so when stuff pops up out of nowhere, you are crippled. And so your need for healing, remember, confession to God, that's vertical vertical forgiveness. Confession to people, watch this. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. And so what's going on is that the vertical prayer brings forgiveness. The horizontal, bring other people to pray for you, that brings a healing because what they're praying over you is the right thinking. That Jesus, we know that sin is that bad. 
it is that awful. Bad enough that you had to die on the cross for the porn, die on the cross for the infidelity, die on the cross for the lying, die on the cross for the half-truth, die on the cross for the, you name the thing. And you rose to the dead to show power over death and the grave. And that's why we have James 5, 16, this sort of horizontal, I'm going to pray for you that you might be healed because you start to believe the right things. All right, now, the thing that I want you to see is he's then kind of transitioned. He's going to get God to remember his word. Look at this. Remember the word. And then he's going to quote from, or it's kind of paraphrase really, from Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. Uh, both are like sort of Moses at different times had written down a prayer of restoration. He kind of combines them both. Look, he says, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, which happened. He scattered them. 70 years later, he brought them all back. And then watch this, to make my name dwell there, to have fame go for God in Jerusalem. And at that point, it was like, God must not be really that great because your city is a armpit okay he says i'm going to hold you to your word god you said you would be with us i'm going to pray my pray your word right back to you oh lord they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand oh lord let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to and your name and give success to your servant today and grant in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king, which we know is more like chief of staff. And then he says, give success to your servant today. Because well, he'd go to work every day like you would go to work every day. And he worked at a secular company with a really powerful guy. It's like working for Jeff Bezos or I guess any powerful person that could move the world at a flip of a switch or a push of a button or an email or a text. He could do that. And he was every day before him. And he's saying, like, God, help me as I'm before him because I know that you've given me something to do to ask of this great, powerful man. And I'm terrified to do it. I have a real fear of this. And what's interesting, remember Kislev, that was your first thing you were supposed to write down, which is Thanksgiving to Christmas. It wasn't until Easter, about four and a half months later, that the king finally goes, huh, you look kind of sad. And if you look sad in front of your boss nowadays, it's like their problem, right? Because it's like, get over it. You, you're, you're a crappy boss. Everyone knows that. And then you have an HR problem. You discuss it out, work it out. Back then, HR was Bob who had a big hatchet. And whenever you had an HR issue, like you didn't look like, feel like coming in today, and you're, set, you're a little bit pouty or sad, um, the king would send you over to HR, and then Bob with the hatchet would take your head off, and literally heads would roll. It was a really effective HR process. Things were really streamlined. All right, and so what happened is that this is exactly what he's going before the king for four and a half months, and he's kind of looking like things aren't great because he ain't eating. It's like, Nehemiah, get some pizza or some burgers. You look starving over there. But Nehemiah had a prayer response to a fear barrier. Take me every time I go before the king, you make him ask the question. I will respond and I'll plan the response, but I'm going to come to you with full prayer. I, uh, I recently had a, uh, you know, I do marriage counseling, and a, and, a, and a guy called me, and he's like, hey, here's what I need you to do. I'm just afraid my wife isn't really, no one's really getting through to her, and so I need you to call her, and here's what I need you to say. 
you need to tell her, and then he gave me kind of a list of things that she needed to do, and I go, man, I really appreciate you calling me and uh, helping me out in that. Um, <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. I, this is a great mission. Okay, here's what I want you to do. He's like, okay. I said, this is going to be it. Here's what you do. I want, he's like, okay, yeah. Go down to Dick's Sporting Goods. Like, okay, Dick's Sporting Goods. All right, this is a really interesting uh, job. And I said, I want you to buy a stopwatch, one that you can work, not one that you can't figure out, one that you can work. Okay, great. I'll, you know, a timer. So let's start to do stuff on time. Anyway. Uh, and then I go, no, no, it's not, it's not for her. It, it's for you. And what I want you to do, before you talk to me again about all the things that your wife needs to do, I want you to put 100 hours of prayer in. And he's like, oh, come on, I mean, come on. Can I just use my phone? I said, no, no, because if you have your phone, you'll forget. But you put a, a, a stopwatch around your neck, you won't forget. It'll just always be sitting there. And then all the times you're in the car driving, you're like, dear God, please help my marriage. <sighs> Whenever you're at work and you have like a moment of where you're instead of checking Facebook, you go, God, please help my marriage. Please talk to my wife. Because ultimately, I, and what I said to him was, you don't want me to talk to your wife. You want God to talk to your wife. And isn't it the problem that we try and manipulate and fix and send emails and kind of go around instead of just simply go to our God and King? Yeah. And what was really neat about this is that um, a, couple, a couple days in, he just texts me out of nowhere. And he goes, this stopwatch is a life changer. <laughs> Turns out prayer eases fear. Who knew? Crazy world we live in. More than two to three hours a day now, an authentic prayer for me. So in a month, I'll get 100. Now, yeah. now look at me. I'm about to ask you to do something crazy. I'm about to ask you to give, to, to ask God to t- show you how to give more money than you've ever given before. But I don't want it to be a guilt moment, like, oh, guilt me, you got me. And I don't want it to be an emotional decision. Like, you know, I want you to go talk to God. Because it turns out, prayer eases fear. So in this capital campaign, I want us to go before the king. In fact, I got everybody here a stopwatch. And so as you're leaving today, I want you to grab one of these, and then I want you to you know, put it around your neck, and then whenever you show up at work, uh, you're ready to go. And you got Nehemiah 4.2 on the back. Everyone's like, Nehemiah 4.2? What's that all about? And you're like, well, the enemy of God was taunting the people of God. And this enemy, Sambalat, said, Look at these feeble Jews! Do they think they can rebuild this wall? Do you think, are they going to sacrifice? I've seen these kids. They don't do anything. Will they revive the stones that were turned to heaps of rubble and burned ones at that? To which God's people go, We won't do it, but God will. And so we do it not because we're going to go to our bank accounts, but we are. That's part of it. But we're going to go to God and say, God, will you show me? Because James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generous all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we're going to go, Lord, will you show me how I can give more money to this capital campaign that I've given to anything ever in my life? Will you show me? And the way I want you to do that is I don't want you to just make a flippant decision I want you to pray about it, and I want you to monitor how long you're praying. I want, and if whatever God tells you, I want you to give that, not what I tell you. I want you to give what God has called you to give. And so that's kind of why we have the stopwatches. And um, 
my heart for you is that you would pray to revive the stones, that God would show you how you would give more than you've ever given before to this capital campaign. And that we would say, at the end of this whole thing, as we're standing on a new facility, look what God has done. And he used these people who don't have that kind of, they don't have it like that. We are a people that are going to give what God has called us to give and do what God has called us to do because we've been a people of prayer and we're going to seek him. And so we're going to start that, that prayer tonight out at our land at 6.30 p.m. with a walk and pray. And I'm going to explain more about that here in a second. But as we pray, I want you to think about the generations that you and I are going to affect through the prayer, through the prayers we're starting in this capital campaign. Because it's not just that we're going to build a building that we're going to do church in. Remember that you went to a church, for some of you, as a kid, and you don't even know how it got there. You just showed up, and it was there. And someone from the previous generation had shown up, and they did a huge capital campaign to build a building for you. And there you were as a six-year-old going, when can I go home? But it was a place where your parents took you. It was a place where people said, invested in you and said, I want to teach you the truths about the God who is and how you, every problem we have is always spiritual and how every crisis drives us to Christ. And I want that to be the story of the next generation because you, in this generation, were faithful to pray and hear from God and have him activate his will through you. How awesome would that be? The generations will know that he is God from the church plants we send, from the missionaries we send, and from the children we raise. It is going to change everything. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you in spirit. We worship you in truth. And we're asking you to do even more than we ever hoped for or asked through this campaign. Let us be a people of prayer. Lord, would you affect our hearts? Would everything we say and do be all about you to reach generation, that we'd have a whole generation of children who raise up to love God, who love people, who make disciples, and that you would lead the charge, Father, in that. We need you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. So this is so exciting. Yeah, you can clap for that. Isn't that exciting? And so we've been working and trying to prepare for this. And so every one of you should have one of our uh, Revive the Stones Capital Campaign Guides. And in it, you're going to find uh, a commitment card that, we're, that I want you to be praying over, right? You're using your, putting in some logging, some minutes and hours into praying so that God, at, at the end of this thing, On October 17th, we're going to say, hey, come on. Let's see what God has done as we try to give more than we've ever given before. And so today, we're starting out with some prayer tonight at 6.30 p.m. at our land, which 2601 Brush Creek Road, everywhere on our website, they'll be all over the place. Um, And also, um, our community groups, globally, our community groups are going to be going through uh, this seven-week group study. And we're so pumped for that. And then we're going to start day one of 40 days of prayer tomorrow. And I've broken up Nehemiah into 40 different sections. And there's going to be some sections where it's like listo names. 
You know, and you're going to be like, oh, irrelevant. Don't do it. Don't make that irrelevant. That's actually powerful. In fact, I was reading Ezekiel, or sorry, Exodus 28 yesterday. And in Exodus 28, it talks about the priestly garments. And I was like, make sure that they're interwoven in this way, in this manner. And I'm like, oh, man. And then it says, for I want their, the, the priest to be clothed in beauty and glory. I thought that was interesting. And then it said on the, on the turban of the, of the priest, I want a chain of gold with a gold plate on it said, holy to the Lord. And then I realized that I was reading that, oh, wow, the, that's what God clothes the priests. And today we're a royal priesthood of believers, which means that we are clothed not in our own glory but in, or in the physical glory, but we wear Jesus, put on Christ. And we're, we're clothed in beauty and majesty and glory because we wear Christ. And then the helmet of salvation, the spiritual uh, thing that we wear that says, you are holy to the Lord and nobody can take away your salvation. There's no amount of sin, no amount of darkness that can ever take away the love that God has for you from our God and our King. And so as we are praying through every day, we're going before the Lord and we're saying, God, would you speak to me? about what I might commit to give, the largest gift I've ever given a church or any organization ever. Lord, show me how. Your word says you will show me if I pray. And so we're going to go to the Lord. We're going to ask. We're not going to guilt. We're going to ask God. Whatever God has told you to give, we're going to celebrate because we know that God is behind and before us and we can get nowhere but be right in the midst of where God is leading our church. And I'm so excited for our new home, and for all of you to join us in watching God work in something that is way too expensive for our little church to pull off. We're going to have to have some God-ordained crazy help where God comes in a miraculous way because we are a people who pray. Now, yeah, it's okay to clap for that. Yeah, I get excited about that. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine just for a second what would happen if you took the next 40 days of concentrated prayer and you put the building on the forefront of your mind and the other God-given visions that God has given you. And it might be your marriage wouldn't be a complete just battleground. It would be a place to rear awesome children in the way of the Lord. That your single life wouldn't be just about how you can get yours, but it'd be a place of serving. And you're not going to try and just get on the last train heading out, but you are going to cultivate a life of godliness. And God would come and meet you right where you're at. That wherever you are, that God would just speak to you. Imagine what happened to you personally if the God of all creation was speaking to you and guiding your heart through a process of prayer because you were literally measuring the amount of time you were spending with him. Date date nights don't happen unless I put it on the calendar. Prayer doesn't happen unless you plan for it. And so let us be a people who are intentional about meeting with our king. It will change you. It will change this church. It will change that city. Would you guys stand up and receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who take on God-sized visions. Go and be a people who activate God's will through our prayer. Go and be a people who overcome the circumstances to see God's vision come to fruition. Go and be a people who overcome our own sin and darkness because God is that good to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go and be a people who overcome fear with the pleasure of our God and put our whole faith and hope in Him. Go and push back the darkness. Have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.